He says, I'm trying to learn to play the harmonica, but I'm doing it a different way. What I do is I drive my car as fast as I possibly can, and I put the harmonica out the window. So a cop pulled me over and said, hey, why were you going so fast? And so I explained it to him. I said, well, you see this thing here on the ground? That's called the accelerator. When you press down on it with your foot, it gives more gas to the engine, and the whole car just takes right off. And this thing here is called the steering wheel. This is how you... I put another engine in my car, but I didn't take the first one out, so now my car does 500 miles an hour. But the harmonica sounds amazing. Okay, now we're done with those. So every year for the last four years, I've had an opportunity to go out to the retrofitted nursing home that now hosts the main offices of Rosedale International, which is our denomination's uh, overseas missions agency, and also hosts, the same building also hosts uh, the REACH program and the SEND program. And so I get an opportunity once a year for a full week to spend my time with the REACHers, as they're called, It's a one-year discipleship and missions program modeled kind of after, well, directly after YWAM originally. Our overseer, Richard Showalter, uh, decided that we needed our own version of YWAM because his own young, his own, like his kids and other young people were finding such a meaningful experience uh, being trained in how do you follow Jesus and then being sent out to reach the nations with the gospel And uh, he said, so he went to some of the leaders of the denomination and said, make this program. And so they got together and they did. I don't know, what year were we? How many years had the program been going when we did it? Yeah, seven or something like that. And there were only two staff when we did it. Now there's quite a lot more staff. And usually there's about 45 students or so. And it's funny, you can go down in the basement of of the... of the building and you can find a picture of someone who shares my DNA but who is nearly unrecognizable and uh, they always think it's hilarious and they point at me and they go oh my goodness and they laugh and laugh it's you you look so ridiculous and I go well thanks for that thanks for that but my job is to uh, talk about God's heart as a father on Tuesday and then we begin the counseling sessions and it's a it's a different kind of counseling than I've ever seen done before Uh, imagine a counseling session in which we set some chairs in the front and everyone stays and you unload like whatever is the heaviest you know and uh, learned a bunch of cool tools from having Tammy Sozo me over the years and um so I kind of fell into this deal. I got asked to do it. Then I discovered that I can do it. And the next thing you know, it, it becomes one of the highlights of my, of my year because we get to see Jesus. We get to see God the Father. We get to see the Holy Spirit. Uh, encounter people at their pain point and at their lie point. Heal the wound. Replace the lie with truth. And in a context of radical grace and acceptance and it's what's interesting is um 
half the power of the experience is, has almost nothing to do with the praying and with the, the lies and the truth and the encounter with Jesus. It, half of the thing is the encounter with God's people. That, that as you say the worst thing you've ever done or the thing that you think about yourself or the thing you're afraid of, the whole group doesn't go, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're, you're such a mess. The whole group goes, uh-huh, yeah. And there's a lot of me too, nodding of the head and going, ah, and there's a lot of crying with you and there's a lot of praying with you. And it's just, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic time. It's also intense. Like we go from nine in the morning till about 10 at night. And then this time there were extra sessions after the sessions. So we finished officially Saturday night, but then we had the, hey, can we get another session here, you know? So we go down to the prayer room and have a session till one in the morning. And then I usually take Sunday off to just decompress, then drive home Monday. But Sunday was filled with meetings, you know? Hey, can we have an appointment? Those kinds of things. So it just kept going. So I'm still recovering. And then we came home and for DTS, my friend Adam came down from uh, York and he talked to us about healing. There's a few things I probably want to share with the whole group that he said with us. Uh, one of them is that Jesus has given us his authority to bring the kingdom. He's given us a badge and a gun. Adam said, I, I, he said, guys, I promise you, if you start extending the kingdom outside your family and outside your church, you will begin to see results. He said, like, when I pray for the sick in public, 90% of them are healed immediately. <laughs> 90%. Um, and he said, this is what he said. He said, you've been given a badge and a gun, so now imagine if you're a police officer and you're in a, in a squad car, but you have no badge and no gun because you left him at home and the only place you take him is church. And the only people you use your badge and a gun to protect are your kids and your family and your, go- and your close friends. He said, you know, what would you call a cop that only did that? Only protected his, only theirs. That's a dirty cop. That's a dirty cop. And he said, the demons are not obligated to, to honor that kind of faith. He said, remember the sons of Sceva? They went in and they got beat up by the demon. They just, Psh. yeah, we know Jesus and we, we know Jesus and we've heard of Paul, but we don't know you. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was fantastic. So, so what Adam kind of hit us with is if you'll start just having the integrity to put your ego on the line and be embarrassed and because he says you're not embarrassed you're not afraid you think you are but Christ in you isn't so you're identifying with the old you which is a lie so so if you'll get in touch with truth with the real you the real you loves that person is not afraid of their rejection the real you isn't taking it personally because you're owed nothing except a beating which Jesus took you're owed nothing everything is bonus and everything's been given to you And it's not personal. The rejection that happens to you is not personal because if somebody doesn't love you, it's because they don't have love to give. It doesn't say anything about you. Yeah, I know Adam had a lot of those little like kind of things. So if you'll not take anything personally because it's not personal and if you'll recognize every day is a gift and a blessing and you're not owed anything and you'll walk in this authority, you're going to start seeing results. And then when you pray for you and yours, you'll also get results because it will be connected to the kind of integrity that the powers and principalities actually have to respect. Is that a fascinating thought? That is an interesting thought. And so Adam was essentially saying to us, uh, this, is, this gospel is not about intellectually comprehending difficult things, 
but about believing simple things enough to live them out. Sounds, you know, and then, so I'm just going to re- re- recap. Um, he said, is anyone in the room in pain? And Kate said, yeah, I'm in pain. And so I can share this, right? Do you want to share it? Are you sure? You don't want to share it because it's a microphone? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll share it. It was just really neat. He's, he's, he did not ask her condition because he didn't care. He didn't care what the condition was because he didn't want to educate himself into a place of unbelief. He didn't want to educate himself into a long, lifelong chronic illness that he's like, oh, this probably isn't going to budge. If it was just a headache, it would move. So he didn't want to know because he didn't want it to affect his faith. And he just said, what's your pain level? And she said, then he prayed a very short prayer, commanding the pain to go. And then said, now check your pain. Is it any different? And so so I don't know how many times we pray, six, seven times? A lot. When it wouldn't budge, then he moved to specific body parts. Do you, what's your pain level in your, in your ankles and feet? What's your pain level in your knees? What's your pain level in your hips and your shoulder? He said, so when I, when I get stuck and I can't make progress, then what I'll do is I'll zero in on a specific symptom, a, a specific issue. I might have enough faith to move that. Because the, the interesting thing is that grace flows through faith. The grace flows through faith. Our faith, our participation in what God's doing is a massive factor in whether or not it, the kingdom comes to earth. So we started with the question is, can, can a human, can, can anyone nullify God's word? Can anyone strip God's word of its power? Yes. The traditions of man nullify the word of God. The degree to which you actually believe the word of God is the degree to which that word has power to flow through you and manifest the kingdom in your life. And so the, 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 you know, the, the decisive factor in the coming of the kingdom, God's all in. He's not the weak link in the, in the chain. And so what Adam was trying to hit us with is a radical understanding of our responsibility to bring the kingdom and how quick we are to, to, to convince ourselves we're in faith when our life reveals we're not based on the fruit we're bearing or based on the results we're getting. So the evidence of do you believe this in terms of praying for the, in terms of healing the sick is do you pray for the sick regularly and do you see results? Fascinating. Just I love how Adam's like now some people are, are tempted to immediately be like okay well I don't want to feel that responsibility and I don't want to feel like a failure when I don't see results and he's saying but again it's not personal. You're in Christ. You're 100% in Christ. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It's just an honest acknowledgement of where you are in the growth process from starting out as a baby and growing up into the full measure of the stature of Jesus. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting, I'm only sharing that just, I'm recapping stuff that's been going on recently. So I realized, let me go back to Ohio for a moment. I realized that the whole week, everything I, I'm doing out in Ohio is healing. It's 100% healing. It's just a healing of the human spirit and the human mind and the human emotions, which is deeply significant. But I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how much of the gospel is about restoring us to what God intended. It's the, like the common thought in so many people's mind is that, is that the gospel is about the afterlife, and of course, we know that it's an amazing, amazing assurance that we have 
for life in God's presence in what Jesus called paradise. That's amazing. That's wonderful. But even better than paradise is when the earth is actually restored to God's original intention for it. Who's tracking with what I'm saying or do I need to unpack that a little bit more? Like the goal of the Christian life is not to have my spirit leave my body and go to be where where Jesus is. The goal of the gospel is to have all those disembodied spirits reunited with glorified bodies on planet earth in a world that has been made new. That's what the gospel is. That's where history is headed. And that's where, that's the eschatology that, that we're oriented in, right? So yes to that, which is quite a lot different from heaven when we die, isn't it? It's quite a lot more life affirming and quite a lot more world affirming. It's a little bit more about what we've been saved for than what we've been saved from. And what we've been saved for is we've been saved for relationship with the Father out of which we fulfill God's original calling on the human species. Is that the word? And so what have we been... So here's here's an interesting question for you. What is missions? Did I hear an answer mumbled quietly from way in the back? What is missions? Missions, sharing your faith so that it can catch on and they... And they get in on this thing too. So I was praying with someone and it was obvious to me that they did not trust their own heart at all. And they thought, I should just, wanna, I should just care about the nations and missions. But what I really want to do is I want to I have a family and I want to I do this, all this stuff over here in America for God. I, I want to work this job for Jesus and I, I wish this mattered too, was this person. All this is what I want. This would make me happy. But what I should want is missions. What I should want is other people getting in on this thing. And that was intriguing to me because I thought, okay, so, so you doing what you love for God in, in this one mindset doesn't count as missions because it's, it's here in America and it's a regular job with horses in a pond and a retreat center. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But it doesn't count as missions. But over here, you know, if we went to some country we hated because we felt the call and did stuff we didn't like to people who weren't like us, then that would be valid missions. Okay, but let's just back up a smidge. Missions exists because worship doesn't. So the point of missions is to invite other people to the feast of the beauty and grace and love of God, correct? That's what this is about. That's, that's what the expans- expansion of the kingdom is about. It's about inviting people into the feast of the grace of God. How beautiful Jesus is and how beautiful the Father is as we see him through Jesus. And how he's an ever-present God, an interactive God. David says, I'm confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, but in the land of the living here and now. Right? So worship is inviting other. I'm sorry, missions is inviting others into the feast of worship. 
Because worship is either a feast or it's not real worship yet. Right? It's our heart drinking deeply in, in a satisfying way of who he is. So what was fun was to, was to take this, this concept that missions is out there and just destroy that and say, no, missions is you living out your dreams. Missions is you living out your dreams that are coming from your, your new self. But there's often so much, there's often so much of an orphan spirit in us that we don't dare ask for what we want or trust what we want. Because we think we're dirty, rotten sinners who are failures in all kinds of other lies that we believe. And, and, when, and when we encounter him and when we let him come in and when we learn how to talk to him, and when we learn how to recognize that we're so brand new that the things we want are actually sanctified. Then we can actually start to say, hey, this is what I want to do for you, God. These are my dreams. Do you know how healthy a heart has to be to really ask, seek, and knock? A heart has to be healthy enough to recognize that what I want is okay. And that I'm allowed to want good things in this life. Do you know, I, I wasn't going to try to, I was going to not pursue dating Carrie because when I met Jesus, one thing I knew for sure was me plus girls equaled sin. I had no history in how to do that in a healthy way before Jesus. So I had no trust in me at all that I could do that, that I could have a relationship that was romantic and not have it be 100% rooted in lust. So I said, girls are on the no-no. I'm away from girls. I'm going to obsess over nothing but Jesus. So then my, my team leader said, um, after reach is over, are you going to ask her out on a date? And I said, no, I'm going to be free. And she's like rolling her eyes at me because I don't trust me at all at that stage. And I definitely don't trust God. Do you know what I mean? I had a big, a big, severe, holy God with a plan and who knows what it is, but I definitely know that, that I'm wicked and unworthy and he's amazing. That was my theology at the time. I didn't comprehend that I'm worth the blood of Jesus at all. I didn't know that. I knew Jesus died, but that was a complete mystery to me. In fact, God's love was a total mystery to me because all I knew about me was dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's, all, that's what I thought about me. I didn't know that I'd been made brand new. I didn't know that I'd been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I didn't know that I had a brand new nature that just yearned for God, and that was the real me. I didn't know. I didn't understand the gospel yet. All I understood was I'm forgiven and going to heaven, but I'm still dirty, rotten, and nasty. And I actually wasn't which opened me up for the enemy of my soul to tempt me, condemn me, and then steal my identity through that shame. And I had no capacity to dream because I didn't trust the heart that was doing the dreaming, nor did I trust the God who was saying, ask me for what you want. Because if you hope in something, a dream can crush you. A dream makes you vulnerable. If you really put your, set your hopes up, then they can be dashed. So God's invitation to ask is terrifying to, to, to someone who was rooted in a shame, sin identity like I was. And so a, a prophetic word came to me when I was in, in India from a lady, and she said, I see that there are branches that have grown without the Lord's leading, and he's cutting them off. And I said, ah, oh, crap. Because I had, was falling in love with Carrie, and I thought, for sure, that's what I get for wanting something good in my life. 
I said, that's what it is. See, I'm stupid. I should have known that it's not about me. It's all about him. It's not about me, less of me, more of him. Because the, the, the more I don't care about me, the, the more opportunity I have to be disappointed and hurt. So was it really love for God driving my surrender? Or was it fear of pain driving my surrender? Was it me putting myself in a kind of shotgun wedding to Jesus? Do what you should and you'll avoid more pain. We've seen the hell of you in charge and we want to avoid that at all costs. Is, am I tracking? So, so I'm like having trouble sleeping because I'm like, I knew it. I shouldn't have put my hope in this thing. I didn't know. Fast forward like six months and I've forgotten all about that word and forgotten all about the whole situation. And I guess we courted. I guess we followed uh, traditional wisdom, but I, I wrote Carrie a letter asking her out on a date because she's wife material and all those hilarious cliched things. I even talked to her father for permission and blessing. Uh, And I'm sure I've told you the time I asked for him, for his blessing for me to marry her. And I forgot that their conservative Mennonite church is against wedding rings. And I said that I had bought her a ring and would he bless me giving it to her? And he said, no. And I didn't realize he was saying he can't bless the ring I was speaking euphemistically, saying, no, I'm talking about the wedding, the marriage, not the ring. But for a few seconds, I was like, why would you let me get in this deep and then tell me no? Um, And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. He's just referring to the ring. But fast forward like six months after that prophecy, and I'm asking Carrie on a date through a letter. And that night, uh, because I had to cut off some old relational baggage that was still in my heart from the past, I mean, like, sever those old soul ties, like, for once and for all, to free my heart 100% up to connect to this woman. And I'm laying in bed late at night, and all of a sudden, I remember this prophecy about the branches being cut off that grew without the Lord's leading, and how I had misinterpreted it to be this one, and it was actually the other one. That God was talking about freeing my heart from the thing he never intended that brought me only pain, to open my heart and heal my heart and prepare my heart for something that he wanted to give me because it was the desires of my heart and he knows me better than I know myself and he wants good things for me and he wants me to live in the John 10, 10 abundant life because he really does love me and it's not just a special kind of weird religious love. Like he loves you like your dad loves you. Like he cries when you're hurting and he's happy when you're happy and he loves to see you open presents and he loves to celebrate your little minimal accomplishments as though they're a big deal because they're a big deal to you. And so they're a big deal to him. Like he loves you like that, like with real love. And so I'm laying in bed just going, oh my word, look how I took that prophetic word and my orphan-spirited shame identity took a promise that was a beautiful word and twisted it midair so it landed with fear and condemnation. Isn't that interesting how we do that? It's like the devil is a liar and, and when we don't really, really know God's love at a deep level, we're just so much more open to that stuff. And it's a process, isn't it? Our whole lives long. Yeah. And so, so there's, a, there's something God saved us for. There's something God saved us for. We've been reconciled back to the Father. That we've been, we, the whole point of salvation is not saved from hell when you die. I, I keep repeating this like over and over. I guess, I'll, I guess I'll probably say this 
till the day that I'm relieved of duty here, meaning my body stops working. <laughs> or why? Why would I have to die? Maybe I can just be taken like, like uh, what is it, uh, Enoch? Walked with God and then he was just no more. He was just no more. Just, uh, I think that happened with two people in the Bible, right? Enoch and Elijah. Everyone else had to die. <laughs> but those two cats. So who's to say that just because it hasn't happened for almost anyone else, it can happen for you. Just, just one day Pete was gone. He was walking with God. And then we said, we don't know. It's like Star Trek. He just beamed away. <laughs> we don't know. I'm sorry that wasn't a Star Wars reference. My bad. My bad. I apologize. But it's, it takes, going back to dreams, it takes a measure of, of risk and a healthy enough heart in God's love to be able to boldly ask for, what we, for what's an honest request. And we're meant to. We're meant to ask and seek and knock. Because this, this life we're called to live is not a life of doing what you hate but should want. It's a life of doing what your new nature most wants to do because you've been made brand new. And when you're not, when you're doing what that old nature that's already been crucified wants, it's kind of obvious you know, there are some lists in the Bible, contention and, and hatred and bitter jealousy and all those like obvious lusts of the flesh. Those are fairly obvious. But I just wonder what would happen if we got bold and started to ask. If there's a, one theme of, of my life, it's, it's did you talk to God about it? <laughs> we do a lot of talking about it. But there's something really special that happens when we start to talk to God about it. Who's tracking with what I'm saying? A lot of what I do in the counseling chair with people out there is not tell them stuff, but rather have them talk to God about stuff. Even if I disagree with it. They can apologize for stuff that I'm like, that's not actually true. They're, they're, they're apologizing for something that it's rooted in a demonic condemnation, but I just let them talk to God about it. Because by apologizing... By having it out with God, by relating to him with their honesty, his grace comes and meets them in their honesty and strips the shame off them whether or not it was from the devil or whether or not it was from the truth. Do you know what I mean? Whether it was conviction or condemnation, either way, as they get honest with God about it and ask for his forgiveness and cleansing, he does. Either way, however the pain got there, as they enter into it and invite him into it and hear what he has to say, it stops hurting nearly. It's, it, the, the, the level of pain begins to decrease as they're willing to enter into that pain and bring him into that pain. You know? There's so much stuff we get rooted in that's pottering us and shaping us. And it's like, man, another thing that's, that's been on my heart is like my, my tendency to want to fix myself to present myself to Jesus. Uh, which is another way of saying, like, you want to be your own doctor, which is not wise. Everyone knows that if your body's breaking down, you're not the expert. You're the expert on pain. Does this hurt or not? But you're not the expert on what's wrong and how to fix it, which is why you go to the doctor. And even if you're a skilled doctor, you're not supposed to go to yourself because you're not objective about you. And so I found that recently when I'm in a place of pain, I try to bring myself to Jesus and fix myself for his sake because I'm trying to be the brave soldier. And I go, wait a minute, that's not my job. It's not my job to fix me. It's my job to go to him and, and ask, hey, 
I'm in pain. What's going on with me? Can you help me, God? Can you heal me, Father? Can you cleanse my heart anew? Can you give me grace and strength and wisdom for what I'm facing right now? And he does. It's a, it's a lot smarter than, than saying, okay, it's my job to fix me. It's my job to repair me. It's my job to renew my mind. It's my job to... Do you, does this make sense? All right. If you wondered what the passage of the day was, it's ask, seek, and knock. Ask him, what do you want, God? I'm sorry, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? Ask him. Talk to him about it. What do you really want? I, there, there's two questions. What's the worst that could happen? Going down the, the negative, negative side and the positive side. What's the worst that could happen? Follow it through. Really answer that question. You'll find out a lot about yourself. What's the worst that could happen? You will find out a lot about yourself. What's the worst that could happen? This, this, and this. Yeah, and? Then what's the worst that could happen then? This, this, and this. Now, if that happened, what would, what, what would be the truth about your life? And when you can strip that of its power to intimidate and threaten and control you, now you're free. And then if you can say, what do you most want to happen? Oh, now we got something to aim at. Because there's something really, really unhealthy when what's the worst that can happen? This fear side of the equation is the one driving my choices in life instead of what do I want? What am I chasing after with God? What am I building? What's the thing I'm willing to sacrifice and work hard to partner with the Holy Spirit and, and bring into being? I feel like that's about it for me today.